You have a hymnal in front of you. It should be up on the board, but we're going to sing 452, My Savior's Love, if you want to stand together with us. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unto I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he can love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. to Psalm 91. We're going to ask the Lord our time together in the second week of the new year. Father, I stretch my hand to thee, no other help 
taking a little break from our study of the story of Joseph, and I'm going to try to wrap up Psalm 91 today in this second study. In verse 1, it says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord... He's my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. Now, this psalm was to be sung by three people. Uh, the first per person would uh, do the first two verses, which I've just read. Then a second person would answer with verse 3, Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler, and from the noisome pestilence he shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Then the other person would respond, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. <clears throat> They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon, or the serpent shalt thou trample under feet. Then the third person speaking for the Lord, this is the Lord speaking here, says in verse 14, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. I will honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated. There are two important statements that I would suggest you commit to memory. Two important statements that form a foundation for your assurance, the assurance of your salvation. The first statement is this. The God and the Savior of the Bible, the God and the Savior of Scripture, is a God who makes promises. There are over 7,000 promises. Some people feel they can find closer to eight. But for sure, over 7,000 promises in the inspired Word of God. You probably noticed some of those promises here. Uh, he, he's going to be 
Uh, your, he's going to be your deliverer, verse 3. He's going to deliver you from the snare of the fowler. He's going to cover you with his feathers, verse 4. Uh, he's going to guide you through the time of pestilence and the time of darkness. He's going to protect you when others are falling. This whole psalm is full of promises. So the God and Savior of Scripture is a God who makes promises. And here's the second thing that I would remember. His salvation. The salvation is revealed in Scripture. The salvation is revealed in Him. May be enjoyed by all who believe Him. All who believe Him. All who believe the Lord will partake of His salvation. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 4 in the New Testament. And let me see if I can illustrate this. And if we can put that on the board, it's verse 16. It's Romans chapter 4. And in verse 16, and the only reason I ask him to put it on the board is because at least you'll be in the same version of Scripture that I'm going to deal with. Romans chapter 4 and verse 16. So what are the two statements now? The God of the Bible is a God who makes promises. And the second statement is there are over 7,000 promises and his salvation, this is the second statement, his salvation may be enjoyed by all who believe him. All who believe those promises may partake of the salvation of the God revealed in Scripture. Now this God is identified in many ways. Here he's called the God of Abraham. Romans chapter 4, Abraham is the spiritual father, I want to show you this now, the spiritual father of all genuine believers. Now when we look at Romans chapter 4, we're going to read verse 16, I want to point out to you what is under consideration here, part of the context, and the, what's under consideration, if you'll notice, verse 13 Verse 13, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now notice what is under consideration. It is the promise that God made of making Abraham the heir, the heir of the world. And this writer says that the promise to Abraham that he should be the heir of the world was not really to Abraham, it was through him, not really to his seed, that is his physical seed, his literal seed, his descendants, through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. He goes on to point out to us that if you receive this inheritance, this salvation uh, by the law, then of course, the grace of God is nullified. So the promise of inheritance, inheriting salvation with the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Lord Jesus Christ, is what is under consideration. So we look at verse 16 now. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, 
not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now let's leave that up there on the board for just a minute. And let's dissect this verse. Therefore, it, what does he mean by it? This inheritance, this promise of salvation, justification, eternal life, the inheritance that's under consideration, it is of faith that it might be by grace. The gracious nature of our salvation may be seen when we understand the nature of faith. The nature of faith is this. Faith is a gift of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. So he says, it, the salvation of God, is of faith that it might be by grace. Watch it now. He says, what is the point here? That it might be by grace. It's the gift of God. Well, what's the point? Here's the, go on reading. To the end, to the end, that is for the purpose of showing that the promise might be sure to all the seed. The promise, the promise of salvation, the promise of inheritance, all of our salvation Stand upon a promise. You don't have anything from God about your salvation except a promise. The Lord Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to go away. If I go away, I'll come again. While I'm gone, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And where I am, there you may be also. That's only a promise. Now, don't go looking for a feeling. Don't go looking for something that you can hang your hat on in terms of feelings or those kinds of things, but, but rely on the promise, the Word of God. Very, very important that you understand that. We are living in a generation now who go by feelings. Well, I just feel like I'm saved, but that's not good. I just feel like I'm all right with God. That's not good. You have to be on the word. So he says, therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise, the promise of salvation, might be sure to all the seed, to all of Abraham's children. Not only to that which is of the law, that is not just to Israel who was given the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham. That is, those who are not in Israel who believe the promise of the God of Israel. Those people, Abraham is their father. He goes on to say, who is the father of us all? Abraham is the genuine father of all genuine believers. He's the spiritual father of all believers, whether they are Jews, or whether they are Gentiles. Now, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7 says this, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Listen to this now. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, those who stand in faith, those who believe the God of Abraham through faith, they are the children of Abraham. That's Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. There it is on the board for you, verse 7. They which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. 
Now it's recorded not once, not twice, but four times that Abraham is declared to be righteous because he believed God. I'm telling you, the only way we can be righteous is by Abrahamic faith, by believing God and believing his promise. Here are the passages. Listen to these passages. Genesis 15, 6, speaking of Abraham. He believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Romans 4, 3, what does the scripture say? It says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Galatians 3, 6, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. James 2, verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled when it says Abraham believed God and it was counted or imputed to him for righteousness. Now of all I've said so far, this is the sum. God makes promises and he is pleased with those who believe the promises he makes. This psalm, as I've already said, is full of promises. David is the writer of this psalm. And David takes God at his word. He believes his promises. All of these promises are made in God's name by God himself. The God who made these promises has sworn by himself that he will not lie. Indeed, that he cannot lie. Hebrews chapter 6 Verses 13 through 16. In other words, he will keep his promises. So the promises of this psalm are made in God's name to all true and genuine believers. Now I want to remind you of something that is, it seems that the people don't know this, so I want to try to make it clear to you. When Jesus Christ, when Jesus who is the Christ, Jesus who is the Messiah, when he came into this world, he lived into this world, in this world, without any divine assistance. He didn't have special assistance to do what he did. Why was it that way? First of all, because he is our substitute. He's the one who stands in our stead. And if you'd been tempted of the devil and you'd been without food for 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil said to you, well, if you're hungry, why don't you turn these stones to bread? You would say, fat chance. I can't turn any stones to bread. Could the Lord Jesus have turned the stones to bread? Of course he could. But as the representative man, he could not because we could not. So what did he do? He replied to the devil using the word of God. I pointed out to you now that in Psalm 91, there are some verses in Psalm 91 that were quoted by the devil, quoted by Lucifer, when he tempted the Lord Jesus Christ. He said to him, jump off of this temple, jump down in the street of Jerusalem, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. And the Lord replied back to him, it is written again. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. To jump off of the Empire State Building and then say, Lord, save me, that is not an act of faith. That is an act of tempting God. It's like one man said when he wanted, he was worried about money, and he said, Lord, how much, uh, how much is a, uh, 
a million dollars to you, a billion dollars. And the Lord said, oh, about a penny. He said, well, how much is, uh, you know, a thousand years of life, how much is that? He said, oh, about a second. He said, well, could I have a billion dollars? And the Lord said, just a second. Just a second. We're dealing with a God who is above time. He's not in time. But he has invaded time in the flesh, in a man named Jesus. And while Jesus was here, Jesus lived in this world, believing and acting upon the written word of God. That's what I want you to see. He's called, Jesus, our Lord, is called in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is a great chapter on the, revel, uh, on the resurrection, he's called the last Adam, the second Adam. What does that tell us? It tells us that he came to do what the first Adam failed to do. The first Adam failed, but the last Adam was absolutely 100% successful. He lived by faith. Our Lord Jesus lived by faith. He believed God, his Father. He believed the promises of God. And when he dealt with men and when he dealt with the devil, he dealt with them on the basis of the word of God. He did not rely upon miracles or divine assistance to triumph over the devil, but he relied upon the written word of God. Now, Jesus is the person we call the living word. We call him the living word of God. And then we have the written word of God. Now, here's what I'm saying. He who is the living word of God, the eternal word of God incarnate or in the flesh, the word of God in the flesh, he triumphed over the devil and over men and over demons and over the grave, over death and hell. He triumphed by the written word. The Lord Jesus, our substitute, did not take advantage of certain things available to him as the Son of God, but through faith as the second Adam, he heard the word of God, he believed the word of God, he obeyed the word of God, but remember now, he was born what? Without sin. Right? He was virgin born. His father was not Joseph, his father was God. So that means that all that he did to earn the approval of the Father, to earn heaven, was not for him. He didn't need it. He was born without sin. But he did that for his people. He did that for those who believe him. He did that for those who come to him as sinners, and they cast themselves upon him and they turn from their sins, and they turn to him, and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe the written word of God. I want you to think about this. To believe the written word of God is to believe the living word of God. To hear the written word of God is to hear the living word of God. When we hear, and when we believe, and when we obey the written word of God... We hear and we obey 
the living Word of God. Now think about this. Jesus said, did he not, in John chapter 5 and verse 39, referring to the Scriptures, he said, these are they which testify of me. Lynn mentioned it earlier. He said to the Jews, you search the Scriptures. You think in them you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me, John 5, 39. Jesus is the enfleshment, if I may say it that way. He is the enfleshment of all the promises of God. That is, he's all of the word of God, including the promises in the flesh. That's who he is. What does this mean? Well, it means, again, that when we believe the written word of God, we believe Jesus. And when we believe Jesus, we believe the written word of God. Jesus said to the Jews who trusted in Moses, John chapter 5, verses 45 through 47, he said, had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? He said to the Jews who trusted in Abraham, John chapter 8, verse 56, he said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it, and he was glad. My friends, listen, all of the promises of God are in Jesus Christ. If we believe him, we believe God. If we believe God, we believe the promises of God. Believing the promises of God, we have a divine insurance policy for 2023 (laughs) and all the years beyond, which pays off with eternal dividends, and it affords us sure protection. That's what Psalm 91 is about. It's about divine protection, divine security, being in better hands than all state. This policy that we have is issued by God himself. 1 John 5, 11. This is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. This policy was purchased by the blood of Christ. The teachers of the church of Ephesus were told, Acts 20 and verse 28, feed the church once he has purchased with his own blood. The blood that was in Jesus was the blood of his father. His father is God. This policy cannot be canceled. The devil cannot cancel it. The insured person cannot cancel it. Did you hear what I said? I said the insured person can't cancel it. Once you're insured, even you can cancel it. And the Lord, nor his Father, will cancel it. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I give unto them, speaking of his sheep, his people, those who believe in him, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father once gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father and I are one. We are guaranteed eternal life. All who believe are guaranteed of eternal life. Now, I've learned there are more than this, but there are eight promises of protection. If you'll go back to Psalm 91... There are eight promises of protection that I want to briefly mention to you in Psalm 91. More than those, really, but there are for sure eight. 
We have the promise of rescue by intervening action. Verse 3. He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. This is the promise of rescue. When I was growing up, they used to have a little cartoon in the newspapers, the weekly newspapers, and uh, there were two characters in that cartoon. One was called Nancy, and the other one was called Sluggo. <laughs> Nancy and Sluggo. And uh, lots of times it would show Sluggo or Nancy walking downtown, looking up at the skyscrapers, and just as they were about to step into a manhole cover, a guy would come up with the cover on his head, and that person, Nancy Sluggo, would slap on that cover, never realizing that they'd been delivered from sure death. And that happened all the time. You would be absolutely shocked if you knew how many times God has delivered you, even those of you who do not know him. When I look back over my life, I can see the hand of God's sovereign providence in my life before I ever had any thoughts about the Lord Jesus Christ. I was not interested in the Lord Jesus Christ, but the Lord was interested in me. And he divinely protected me. He kept me from many, many times uh, I could have been dead. And he delivered me from those times. We have the promise of rescue by intervening action. We have the promise of security. Look at verse 14. Because he set his love upon me, I'll deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. We'll be set on high. That means we'll be kept out of danger. Number three, we have the promise of answered prayer. Verse 15, he shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him. I'll honor him, he says. Answered prayer. Number four, we have the promise of protection of companionship. Companionship. Look at verse 1. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High, not he that visits every once in a while, he that dwells in the secret place. Where is it? Nobody knows but those who dwell there. The world doesn't know anything about it. The people of this world know nothing about it, but we know something about it. We fellowship with him. We talk with him. We see him in every blade of grass. We see him in every flower. We hear him in every chirping bird. We see him in the rainbow. We thank him when the rain comes. We thank him for the sunshine. We see him everywhere. We dwell there. We're at home with God, dwelling with him in the secret place of the Most High, he says. The Most High. And he says... You shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Well, now, you know, you can't get any closer, I suppose, than your shadow. Your shadow is a reflection of you. And the shadow of the Lord is a protection for us, a companionship. He is like our shadow. <clears throat> verse, <clears throat> verse 3, 7, 14, and 15, we are promised deliverance. Deliverance. Verse 3. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare 
the snare or the fowler. I enlarged on that last week a little bit. And from the noisome pestilence. Look at verse 7. A thousand shall fall at thy side. How many people have died here uh, in last, the last year? How many people have died since 2020, July, when the coronavirus <coughs> came out? But we're still here. Thousands have fallen. Ten thousand. But we are still here. Verse 14. Because he set his love upon me, I will deliver him, he says. And then verse 15. He'll call upon me. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him. So we have deliverance in these verses. 3, 7, 14, 15. Then we have vindication. We're promised vindication. Verse 15. He says, I will honor him. You study the word there, look it up if you want to, and you'll find that this is talking about being vindicated. We see all of these unjust things going on in the world. We see things that are absolutely crazy. They're absolutely upside down. They make absolutely no sense. We know about the millions and millions of children of God that have been killed over the years, that have been martyred. One of the books that I've recommended for years, they have a new book out about martyrs, but you get Fox, F-O-X-E, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and see what the people of God from the first century and before have suffered simply because they believed God. They've suffered, it, it is unbelievable what some Christians have suffered through the years. But they died trusting in the Lord. You know, the Lord promised Abraham the promised land, right? Right? Okay. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that Abraham never got one square foot of the promised land. Where did God lie? No. That had to do with some future things. That had to do with some ultimate deliverance. I promise you that God Our God, the God of Scripture, will, He will make things right. He will take care of all the injustices that have been done and are being done in this world. And He will vindicate His people and their faith in Him. That's what it is to be honored. Then we have personal fulfillment. Verse 16, we will be satisfied, but long life will I satisfy him. People are looking for satisfaction in this world, and they're looking in all the wrong places. Like the country song that was out about 20 years ago, looking for love in all the wrong places. People are looking here and there and everywhere, trying to find some fulfillment, trying to find some meaning, trying to find some reason to get up tomorrow morning and go on with life. And the reason our generation is getting so crazy is because they're being separated from the Word of God. They're being separated. The Word of God is the thing that reveals to us what life is really like. And when it is viewed from the perspective of the God who created things, we need to learn to look at things through the lens of the Scripture. So we'll be satisfied... When we see him, David said that, I'll be satisfied when I awake in thy likeness. And then we have the blessing of enjoying his salvation. 
verse 16, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So what do we have here? We have sure protection. Why do we have sure protection? Because we're strong? No, because of who it is who ensures us. Who is he? Well, look at verse 1. He's called the Most High. Not just the high one, but the most high. The one, there's no one higher than he. Some of the old ancient uh, Greek philosophers said the world is standing on the back of a tortoise. The back of a tortoise. So somebody said, what's the tortoise standing on? Said, well, he's standing on another tortoise. What's he standing? He's standing on another tortoise. And then Aristotle, he said... We have to go back to the, everything is moved, everything has movement, everything has action. He said we go back to the unmoved mover. That sounds more like our God, the unmoved mover, but not there yet. What we know is, we know that God, the high one, none higher, nothing higher, he's the most high. He says in verse 1, and notice this, he says he is the almighty. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the, you know what that word Almighty is? It's El Shaddai. El Shaddai. He shall dwell in the protection of the Almighty God. The El Shaddai. That's the God that appeared to Abraham. You can read it in Genesis chapter 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said unto him, I am the El Shaddai, I am the Almighty God. Walk thou before me and be thou perfect. He's the God who appeared to Jacob, the God of Jacob. When Isaac sent Jacob to pay down Aram to get a wife, this is what he said, Genesis 28. God Almighty, El Shaddai, bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people and give thee the blessing of Abraham and to thy seed with thee that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave to Abraham. This is El Shaddai. This is the Almighty. When God left Padan Aram, he was afraid of Laban, his uncle. But the Lord appeared to him again, and this is what he says. It says, And God appeared again to Jacob when he came out of Padanaram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply, and a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And many years later, when Jacob wanted to encourage Joseph, <clears throat> what do you think he said? Joseph was the son of Jacob. Genesis chapter 48, Jacob said unto Joseph, El Shaddai, God Almighty, appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said, Behold, I'll make you fruitful. I'll multiply you. I'll make you a nation of people, a multitude of people. I will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. My friends, in Christ, we are under the care of the Most High, the El Shaddai, the Almighty God. And as I've already said, he has hidden us in his secret place. 
And among other things, that means that no one can snatch us out of his hand. We abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He can defend us against all enemies, foreign and domestic. He shelters us. He protects us. It is possible for us to live in perfect peace by relying on his word, not going into a panic when things go backwards like I do. But rely on his word. Believe him. We can possess perfect serenity when everybody else is going crazy. He's our refuge. He's our shelter in the time of the storm. He's our fortress, he says, our castle, our stronghold, our defense. He's our God, our Elohim, the true God, our El Shaddai, the almighty God. We trust him. He's our sure protection. The nature of our security is spelled out for us in verses 3 through 8. Please understand that nowhere does the Lord promise total immunity from trouble, but he promises to be with us through the trouble, to use the trouble for our good and for his glory. All of the characters in Scripture who trusted the Lord were the ones who suffered the most, every one of them, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, and certainly our Savior. The Bible says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 2.12. You know, I read a story the other day. I've got a book that I've ordered for you. You know, a while back I ordered a book called We Will Not Be Silenced. And I made that book available to you. I ordered 60 copies. This particular book, I can only afford 30 right now. But it's called... We don't need to hide. And it's going to, be, going to be here, I think, next week. So I should have it by, by next Sunday. But in that book, in the second chapter, he tells a story of a man who made a speech in Russia under Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin was the prime minister of Russia for 30 years. 1932 uh, uh, 22 maybe it was, to about 52. He was there for 30 years. And Joseph Stalin was responsible, it is said, for over 40 million deaths of his own people. 40 million, not including all the ones that were killed in the war. This man was making a speech in which he was praising Joseph Stalin. And he was in a room full of hundreds of people. And when he finished making the speech in praise of Joseph Stalin, who was a tyrant, who was a dictator, it is said that when Joseph Stalin died, he died from a stroke. And I have two volumes that I've read years ago about Joseph Stalin. It said that when he died, that with a terrified look, he looked up to the heavens and he raised his hand. And he said something like, you have conquered Joseph Stalin, responsible for millions of deaths, he made this speech, this man made this speech about Joseph Stalin, <clears throat> and when he finished, it broke out in thunderous applause. How many of you know who Alexander Solzhenitsyn is? You know, okay. Years ago, I read, had to read a book when I was studying Russian history, One, one Day in the Life of Ivan Savanovich. You should get that book and read it. It is really something. It's really something. Well, the story comes from Solzhenitsyn. And he said, thunder surprise broke out. And he said, the applause went on. 
one minute, two minutes, three minutes, said after eight minutes, they were still applauding. Said it went on for about 10 minutes. Said finally after 10 minutes, one man over here in the corner, I think this was his hall that all these people were gathered in, <clears throat> he stopped applauding and he sat down. And immediately everybody else stopped applauding and they sat down. And what do you think happened to that man that stopped applauding? He was executed. He was executed. You know what we're doing today in America? We're standing up and we're applauding a bunch of mess. We're applauding a bunch of junk. And it's going to get worse. And, and as long as we applaud, they're going to keep going. But if we take a stand for the Lord, if you stand back there and you don't applaud, or you fold your hands, or you go over here and you sit down, and you like, act like you're not interested, you'll be the one who will be centered out or, or uh, pointed out, you'll be pointed out as being somebody who's against the current way of things, the current way that we're doing things. That's where we're headed. But the Lord, the Lord who's above all of these things, he told us things would get worse before he came, didn't he? But in all of these things, we have security. He doesn't promise us immunity from trouble. We are going to have trouble, but he will be with us in the trouble. He will give us grace in the trouble, and he will ultimately deliver us from the trouble. We're not promised security from trouble, but security in trouble. All things will work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his promise. We have many enemies right here in this Psalm, there's the snare, there's the fowler, there's the pestilence, there's the terror, there's the arrow, there is the destruction. Our Savior was not spared from any of these, but he was preserved in them, and he emerged victoriously from them. He was bruised on the hill, but he crushed the serpent's head. And we may be bruised in life, but we can sing, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have sure protection, and we have protection from the threats of life, and protection as we go through life, verses 10 through 13 in the paths of life. All of these things that come up as we go through life, he will be with us and he will protect us. And the Lord himself is our protector. Once more, he is our secret place, verse 1. He's the shadow under which we hide, verse 2. He is our refuge, verse 2. He is our fortress, verse 2. He is our deliverer, verse 3. He is our covering, verse 4. He is our shield, verse 5. He is our buckler, verse 4. He is our courage, verses 5 and 6. He's our hedge on every side, verse 7. He's our revelation. We know what's happening. Verse 8, he is our uh, habitation. Verse 9, he is our immunity. Verse 10, uh, he is our keeper. Verses 11 and 12, and he's our antidote to protect us from the bite of the serpent. Verse 13. Now there are three characteristics given, and I'm going to close with this, to identify the believer. Let me show you where the believer is in this psalm. He says, first of all, in verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, this is the Lord speaking, 
This is the Lord speaking. Now, how many times have you heard me say that I am not saved by my love for Christ? I am saved by His love for me. But I do love Him. I do love Him. He asked John in John chapter 21 three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? We do love the Lord. We have to realize that we're not saved by our love for Him. We're saved by His love for us. But we do love Him. The believer is one who loves the Lord. He says that in verse 14. Okay? Because He has set His love upon me. Number two, He knows me. Verse 14. He knows my name. He says, I will set Him on high because He has known my name. I think that's a revelation of who God is to every one of His children who are redeemed. And then thirdly, He calls upon me, verse 15. He shall call upon me, and I'll answer him. Do we love the Lord? Do we know the Lord? Do we call upon the Lord? Those are the three marks given in this psalm of the believer. That is the person who stands upon the Word of God when everything else is falling, who is sure of the Lord because He has promised, and He can't break a promise. He won't break a promise. He doesn't break a promise. All that he promises, he will fulfill. We just need to learn to trust him. It's not going to work out just exactly like you want it, or like I want it, but he's going to work it out like he wants it. Aren't we told to pray, not my will, but thine be done? And then we get upset when things don't go our way. I pray the Lord's blessings upon this psalm. I pray that you will get in it, read it, study it, even memorize it, commit it to memory, because it's wonderful, wonderful instruction for God's people in the year 2023. May the Lord add his blessings to the teaching of his word.